0: Winter was here, but we are just getting started with our rewatch of season three, episode six of Game of Thrones, The Climb. And now here are the two guys who always live up to our reputations and probably worse. I am Rob Sasson here with
1: Josh Wigler. Josh, how are you? I'm doing a lot better now that you and I have gotten our bickering out of the way before we started podcasting. But just for the record... I am so much better at skinning rabbits than you are, and I don't care what you say. Oh
0: my god! I mean, I, really, in my notes, it literally says, "Oh my god!" <laughs> as Mira and Osha yeah. squabble about skinning a rabbit.
1: Oh shut!
0: Yes, up, yes,
1: yes, yes. That we the, are
0: all Bran in that scene.
1: It is the second scene of the episode as Bran is begging. OSHA in just st- like, st- Stop. stop stop talking about skinning rabbits and who's better at skinning rabbits you're both pretty good at skinning rabbits yeah I'm really bummed out that
0: you opened with this because I, I really I was I was so high for this episode it was so I mean I was like like hopped up like uh, for this episode like a rabbit yeah and no, I'm really I was really pumped up to talk about this and then you went like right to the like the worst thing that I hated the most and now you my, you, you have uh, r- just brought out my negative emotion
1: Well, that's because we have to start low so we can climb. the climb. The climb. The climb. The climb. The climb is all there is. It's all we've got. Everyone has to climb the ladder that's chaos. It's a metaphor, you see. Skinning rabbits is a pit. <laughs> yeah, that's a glaring pit of despair. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's just all a matter of perspective, Rob.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, this was
1: a really fun episode.
0: Lots of great stuff to get into, and uh, all through uh, King's Landing, at the Wall, and, and just about everywhere you go. Uh, fun stuff to be had in this episode, Josh. So I guess uh, let's you know start to go around all of uh, you know the Westeros, uh, no Essos in this episode no
1: ed- SOS, which is you know i mean we've really been trending up with daenerys but i don't mind the localized westeros episode i think that's fine yeah and we'll
0: uh go all around the seven kingdoms and talk about uh what's happening and we'll get to the spoilers
1: uh later on where do you want to start Ooh, um should we start with the climb do we want to just like kind of climb to the top of the wall and then see which what we're looking which at? one which climb Oh, that's a that's a good question. I think we could clear all the beyond the wall stuff pretty quickly and then work our way south. Um, And I mean, we could we could start very quickly with the first scene of the episode the first two scenes of the episode are kind of just like these like singular scenes that don't have any further ramifications elsewhere in the episode the first one being sam and gilly are on the road and sam is trying to make a fire to keep them warm and uh he's really struggling in that department and i gotta say i've never related more to sam tarley than uh, his inability to make fire here yeah. If only Gilly was with
0: you out on Ghost Island to say, uh like, what? Uh, uh, does someone else makes fires for you, Josh? Yeah.
1: Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. His name's Zeke. He's a very good guy.
0: And Then Sam is really talking up the venison stew
1: at the wall. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about uh, the venison stew. Like, was that was that something that was made a, a meal of earlier in the series? Like, do we know anything about the venison stew? No, it has onions. Uh, It's got onions. Uh Some guy named Hob makes the stew.
0: Yeah. Who knew? And Sam can't really sing.
1: Gilly would like a song. Yeah. And so he sings and it's okay. You know, it's uh, DJ Sammy Slayer really has a long way to go before he's uh, he's going to be in full form. But he's singing a little lullaby to the to the to the kid, to the to the baby. And uh, uh, it seems seems like it works. Uh, it at least puts the scene to sleep. That's literally it for Sam and Gillian this episode. They talk about the the dagger that he found at the fist of the first men. That's really it. Yeah. And then also we
0: get the uh, the epic battle between Mira and Osha debating who can skin a rabbit faster. Is it faster or better? I think it's
1: better, which is also faster. Like it does seem like, I mean, the truth is, if you want to break it down, It's very clear that Osha is light years better than Mira when it comes to skinning rabbits. Like she skins a rabbit in one motion and throughout the scene, Mira is trying (sighs) to like get the skin off of the rabbit's arms. Like she's really going on the one rabbit for the whole time. And it was just done inside of like three seconds.
0: Yeah. Overall, it's pretty gross uh, watching them go through it. But then uh, the important thing here is that Jojen Reed ends up having a seizure. I'm not sure exactly what the medical term would be for what's happening to him, but a he, green seizure. Yeah. The, it, it takes a lot out of he's him. He's green seizing <laughs> right now. Mira makes him sort of like bite down on a strap, and he's seeing something. And so uh, he tells everybody, I saw Jon Snow he was on the wrong side
1: of the wall surrounded by enemies yeah and really the only utility of this scene is to kind of set that up for john for the rest of the episode because we don't check in with bran and jojan and mira and all those people uh for the rest of the the hour here uh quick rick on sighting. and remember him it's great how he just kind of lurches forward he goes what's happening it's like ah didn't even remember you were here <laughs> yeah he's very there frightening. very frightening he's there
0: okay all right so john is with the wildlings they're getting ready to climb the wall to get to the other side apparently uh tormund has climbed the wall 50 times josh
1: yeah half a hundred times is the uh is the information that we get about Tormund. it doesn't you know it's not a big surprise look that guy is jacked he seems like a climber yeah, but why? I, I, why
0: does Torment need to go over the wall back and forth 50 times?
1: Have you seen beyond the wall? There's not a lot. <laughs> well, What does he
0: do? do? What does he do down there?
1: He just like goes up and he like looks around. It's a really pretty view as we see at the end of the episode. So he gets the nice view and then he comes back down. It's just for fun. Is he a thrill
0: seeker? Is that what it is? He's like a millennial. He collects experiences, not I things. I think he's
1: collecting experiences. I think this is just a guy who he likes a to GoPro. Climb. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I would love some like first person perspective uh, videos of Tormund climbing a wall. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Yeah, there's a great freeze
0: frame of this episode. No pun intended on the freeze frame where, of this episode. And it's like Tormund like uh, scaling the wall with like one arm, like uh, a
1: scoot. Uh, really just uh, it's it's a cool shot. I now just want to see a remake of uh, Cliffhanger, starring Christopher Heveju who plays Tormund in the Sylvester Stallone role. Mm. I think that that is something that we need in our lives. Yeah. So. John and Egret are talking,
0: and they, they have sort of like a reset about uh, you know their relationship, and you know that Egret talks about how she is uh, John Snow's woman. I liked when uh, she accuses him of being scared of naked girls, and how he was trembling, and his defense is, "Hey, only in the
1: beginning." Yeah, it was just this. It was an awkward start, <laughs> but the rest of it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to tell everybody. Please keep your voice down. He's really embarrassed. He's very shy about this. He doesn't want everybody to know. What happened? Uh, but Egret says, uh, You're a proper lover, Jon Snow. Don't worry. Secret's safe with me.
0: Yes. Uh, was like, "Oh, well, what secret? And she's not talking about the Lord's kiss. What she's talking about is that she knows that he didn't stop being a crow the day that he walked into Mance Raiders' tent. And I really do love this idea that she puts forth here in this episode of, Hey, that me and you. We're both soldiers. The Night's Watch doesn't care about us. That man's raider doesn't care about us. Nobody cares about either of us that uh, the both sides just look at us like pawns that all we have is each other.
1: Yeah, well I think that this is kind of it's a it's a far north reflection of an idea that's playing out further south in Westeros with the Brotherhood Without Banners. You know, Barric Don Darien was charged by Ned Stark to bring the mountain to justice and to, you know, fight for the Stark forces. And somewhere along the way, probably after he got stabbed in the heart the first time, uh Beric and Thoros and these other people decided, you know what? F this we are we are not fighting any king's war we're not fighting any lord's war unless it's the lord of light we are fighting for the people because the people are being lost in the shuffle of all of this nobody cares about them. All that any of these people care about is who's in which castle and which castle is the biggest and baddest and which one reigns supreme. Uh, and I think that John and Igrit are having a conversation here that really, um, I think, takes that idea and brings it rooted into these two characters who we've come to know pretty well over the past, certainly, season for Igrit and over the course of this whole series for John, where they're just soldiers in some bigger war. And if they die, Oh, that sucks. But the war will continue. Um, And maybe that's not where our allegiance should be. Maybe that's not where our loyalty should be. So it's definitely an interesting conversation that I think is really tugging on the strings of one of the biggest themes that's playing out throughout Game of Thrones. Okay,
0: so later on, we will see them as they are scaling the wall and we get a a number of close calls for John Negret in the uh, climb up the wall. Uh, Some uh, more than close calls for a lot of the other wildlings that are making their way up. Probably the biggest of which is that there is like a huge crack that forms and it takes out just about every single other person that is with. them so basically yeah. only Torment Oral and Egret and Jon Snow the only people that make it up is that f- correct
1: it's i think there's a couple more than that but not a ton not a lot. It's a pretty small group that makes it. Lots of red shirts along the way. Uh, you know, Game of Thrones doesn't do this very often, where there are just kind of um, you know a, a handful of scenes where you just know exactly how it's going to play out. But in this episode, in the climb, there are these two sequences of the climb itself, where John gets like a like a bit of snow to the face, and then like uh, it seems like John and Egrit are going to get cut loose and they're going to die, and you just know what the outcome is going to be in both of those cases and I don't know I kind of enjoyed it Game of Thrones is not often predictable so when it just is kind of playing down the line playing very easily you can sort of it's the rare occasion where you can shut your brain off and just sort of enjoy the spectacle that's on screen I also have it in my notes that it must have been really odd for the actors to film the climbing scenes I would love to know like what was involved in that were they you know there's that one shot where it's looking down on all of them climbing the wall. How did they film that? Were they all just like on their bellies, like, cl- like climbing on a floor that looks like snow and everything? I would just love to know.
0: I think they were really on a mountain I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, probably the most dramatic moment comes when Oral is trying to cut the rope uh, so that John and Egret will fall, but then John ends up getting his ice climbing hook into the side of the wall, and then uh, really gives the stink eye up to Oral after that.
1: Oral's a real, real jerk. This mm-hmm. guy sucks. There's nothing else to add. He's just a he's just a twerp. I mean, it's probably the right move given the situation. That being said, still a twerp.
0: Yeah. So not sure if his eagle was uh, nearby to be able to uh, like transfer his consciousness in if he was going to fall.
1: Yeah. If I'm oral, I'm probably just like zapping my consciousness to the eagle and not making the climb at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you need your body up there. Is that
0: how it works? Well, could he make like a bunch of eagles come and pick him up and take him to the top of the wall?
1: (laughs) Oh my god! Like a it's like a balloon suit, but it's (laughs) an eagle suit. Yeah, or at least standing by in case he falls. Uh, Yeah, they could just cushion him. Like how how does that work? That's got to be. They could either catch him or they could you know grab him and then and then pick him back up. We're talking about like I don't know a hundred eagles are going to be. Are the eagles or ravens that he has? No, they're eagles. We've debated yeah. this a million times already. Okay. What would you rather fight? One eagle sized or, oral? I, I think it's one oral-sized eagle or a hundred eagle-sized orals. Hmm. I think you want to fight the 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 oral. Yeah, the oral eagle? Yeah,
0: it's just the one. Just the yeah, one. Just the one. Okay. So they make it up to the top of the wall. And Josh, what an iconic image it is. Uh an when iconic John image. John one and Ecret get up there.
1: One of the iconic images of game of thrones yes very romantic they should have taken a selfie up there i think that that would have been great that would have been great with uh they could have used Torment's gopro to uh <laughs> to just really capture the moment yeah so
0: <laughs> mormon yeah uh great job there by uh john and egret okay uh elsewhere that's,
1: like, that's the whole climb that's the that's the name of the episode that's the whole like i think like the action thrust of the episode all happens there it's all very straightforward it's exciting it's a little scary at times, uh, but it's all pretty straightforward, and you can just kind of enjoy it. So, okay. you know, I really liked that. Uh, it was fun
0: let's talk about what's going on with Arya and the Band of Brothers, and she is sort of like getting some archery lessons, and they're talking to her about how to shoot the arrow, and I'm sure that you love anything archery, so this was great oh, for I'm you, rich. but yeah. she sees somebody, and it's the Lady Melisandra, and she is coming, and she has a request uh, that her and Thoros talk a little bit about the Lord of Light. We get some of the backstory of the first time that Thoros ever brought back Beric Dondarrion Josh let me just get this straight so Thoros has brought Beric Dondarrion back to life six times now since really the start of season two of Game of Thrones Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> he's died six times
1: since then it's like Wolverine uh <laughs> you know Wolverine is always getting like shot stabbed all of these injuries that would kill anybody else, and then all the other X Men are always unscathed and perfectly fine. And it's just because, as a character, in terms of the story, Wolverine can sustain all those injuries without getting killed. Same deal with Derek DunDarian. Is Barak he just Dundarian reckless? Is the Wolverine of Game of Thrones. Um, is he reckless? Yeah, probably. He does. You know, he did say in the other episode that like every time I come back, I lose a piece of myself. I assume that's the common sense. Uh, (laughs) to not die yeah like the survival instinct the sense of self preservation is just like you know quickly being whittled away for this guy I mean, he gets charged by Ned Stark
0: sort of late in season one to go out and bring the mountain to justice. That happens towards the end. So maybe you could say that the first he dies around the first time that Ned Stark dies in season one. But it's only season three,
1: episode five. He's died four other times between then. Yeah. And then he's also died in the uh, in the battle with the Hound. Yeah, that so. was six. Yeah, he's had a he's had a he's had a, had a few uh, run-ins with the Lannisters in mm-hmm. the mountains. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's kind of it's a kind of surprising statistic too, when we spent so much time in Harrenhal and nobody seemed to know where the Brotherhood Without Banners was, and that starts happening around episode five. Maybe of season two, episode four or five, where we uh, where we see like the tickler and everything. Like, where's the brotherhood? Where's the brotherhood? Where's Barrack Dondarrion? So we're really talking about probably four deaths or, you know, the majority of the four deaths taking place in uh, the, within the first like three episodes of season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does the
0: mountain tell anybody uh, like, wait, no, no, I killed Barrack Dondarrion. I don't know that the mountain really talks, but he doesn't remember. When you kill so many people, hard to keep track of, you know, uh, who was dead yeah, and who he's, wasn't.
1: He's, he does not track the stats. I think, you know, how many people you killed? A lot. Mm. Many people. Lots of people.
0: Yeah. That's his answer. OK, so Melisandra tells Thoros, uh, you know, or tells Barak, you, you have somebody that I need. And we see that. OK, here comes the lady Melisandra,
1: and they are taking away Gendry. Gendry. Yeah. And in the moment, nobody really seems to understand uh, why this makes sense. But us as viewers, we can kind of connect the dots that we know Gendry is the bastard son of Robert Baratheon. Uh, Melisandre happens to work quite closely with Gendry's uncle, Uncle Stannis. So a family reunion seems to be in the offing. That's exciting. Yeah.
0: And he wants to stay. And Melisandra says, no, no, no. You're more than they can ever be. Uh, you can make kings rise and fall. And if I was anybody in the Brotherhood Without
1: Banners, I think I'd be, hey. Yeah. Like, don't you know that Like, I can literally bring people back to life? I think I'm pretty cool. <laughs> you know, Thoris of Mir should definitely be insulted right yeah. now. And Arya is not happy about this. She's not. Uh, She's very upset because she loves Gendry. Uh, They've been together for so long now. So losing Gendry like this is um, a very upsetting moment for Arya Stark. And Melisandre has something fairly upsetting to say to, to Arya in response. She says, I see a darkness in you. And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes. Eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. Yeah. Ominous, Rob. Very ominous. Okay. Uh, We'll circle back to that later on.
0: Sure. Sounds like a plan. Okay. All right. Josh, uh, should we talk about Theon in this episode with uh, his mysterious tormentor?
1: Yeah. So, just uh, some background on how I'm watching uh, this episode. Uh, I I was watching it on my computer. I had my headphones on. Mm -hmm. My wife is on the couch next to me, uh, and every once in a while, just like glimpsing, you know, over my shoulder, what's going on on the screen as she's watching unsolved mysteries on the television, uh, which is ironic because Robert Stack. No, it's the Dennis Farina episodes. R.I.P. to both the uh, both those fine gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are, we're you know we're watching our two respective mysteries unfold, and I'm just having like these very guttural reactions every time this uh, this stranger is poking Fionn's finger with, uh, with like the like the tiniest little knife in the world. Uh, I'm just like I'm like leaping out of my chair. And she looks over and is very upset at what she is seeing. So this was a very traumatic viewing of this Theon scene today. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know. I, I this it's all so awful. Poor, yeah. poor Theon. You know, he sucks. But this is just this is just rough. This is terrible.
0: Yeah. Just to give you some backstory as to how I am watching these episodes. So uh, this part is happening and I'm not looking at the screen. I am uh, just uh looking at my open Gmail draft as I am typing my notes to myself. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: I am relying on audio only for it's awful. these it's scenes. Awful. And this is a, this is a really you know I think that makes it worse almost. I think the the move would be just for future you know if the, if we get into more like Theon torture scenes. I guess mild spoiler alert. There's going to be a little more torture for Theon Greyjoy this season at least. Yeah, I mean he didn't uh, get out. No, he's in big trouble right now. Very, very, very difficult situation for Theon. Uh, Maybe turn off the volume and turn on the closed captioning, I think mm-hmm. is probably the way that I'm going to do this going forward, because it's almost worse just listening to it. I was doing the same thing like I couldn't look at certain points, and then I think just hearing it is just, ah, it's awful. It's too yeah. much. And they actually do a good job on the
0: HBO closed captioning as opposed to the gibberish that I read when I watch things with the closed captioning on, on CBS All Access.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, the closed captioning on HBO is really, really good. Uh, and if we were just relying on that we would still get all the information that is in play in this scene though i think you would lose a little bit of um i was gonna say the playful ca- uh quality of this torturer but uh that seems like a weird way to describe somebody who is delighting so plainly in uh the evisceration of this human being but that's kind of what this this guy seems like he's having the best time ever Best time ever. This seems like this is the the greatest day of this man's life is playing this game where he says, if you guess who I am, where you are and why I'm doing this to you, and you're right, I will not cut off your finger. You win. Um, But if I win, uh, I'm going to win if uh, you're begging me to cut off your finger. And of course, by the end of the scene, this man is the victor in this game, mm-hmm. and so he's making Theon guess and guess and guess. Finally, uh, Theon guesses that uh, this is uh, the brother of Torin Car Stark, right? And of course, we know Lord Karstark who lost his head in last week's episode at the hands of, or the sword rather, of rob Stark. Um, so, like the theory, like it, it, it makes sense as it's playing out. It's like, oh yeah, this is all connecting. And then this guy's like. Oh, yeah. By the way, I've lied about every single thing. I'm a liar. I'm a a liar. You forgot to ask me if I'm a liar. Uh, So we still don't know who this guy is. No idea Mm -hmm. whatsoever. There are no tells as to who this person (laughs) could possibly be. Yeah. All right. Meanwhile,
0: Rob is uh, meeting with his inner circle and uh, they are talking with a a couple of uh, high ranking Frey officials, uh, including Lothar Frey. And so we get some demands at the end of last week's episode. Rob says, uh, I've got it. Eureka, we need to get the Frey army so we can go attack Casterly Rock. And the demands for the retributions and moving forward is that Edmure Tully needs to marry one of Walder Frey's daughters.
1: Yeah. And Edmure's like, No. <laughs> Yeah. He does not want to do it because, you know, he's he's met the phrase. The phrase are the McPoyles of the Game of Thrones universe. Yeah, uh, he wants to swipe left
0: and yeah. basically they're telling him he does not have an option. He wants to hold out to at least then get a pick of all of the Frey women so that he can get to decide which one. He's OK with the idea, but he wants to pick
1: the wife. I enjoy the line where where Edmure is like the laws of gods and men can't compel me to do this. And the Blackfish says the laws of my fist are going to compel your teeth. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Blackfish really has uh, gets a good hate into Edmure whenever he can.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And we get by the
0: end of the episode and uh, the score is uh, really beautiful. Uh, But Rob, uh, you know, resets this idea of he's
1: won every battle, but they are losing this war. Yeah, and remember that mill that you captured that you thought was the greatest thing that you've ever done? Uh and he's like, Yeah, I guess I should probably make amends for that. Yeah. Uh, Although he does so, say,
0: Well, I was thinking I
1: could do something less permanent. Yeah, less permanent, less permanent. Uh doesn't get much more permanent than a marriage to the phrase. Uh it's a very permanent deal. Yeah. Okay, so he says yes. He signs on. He's going to do it. Edmir is going to do it. Uh, he
0: is a uh, a company man. Company man. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, I think we gotta get into all this stuff in, uh, well, actually, let's talk about Jamie and, uh, Roose Bolton. And then I want to talk about everything in King's Landing because this is such a great King's Landing episode. But, um, we see Jamie. He is, uh, Roose Bolton is, I think, enjoying watching Jamie struggle with a uh, piece of meat. I'm not sure if that's like a lamb shank or what that is that they serve. Whatever it is
1: it's bloody tough
0: yeah they could have given him like stew or something that he could have just done with a spoon but i mean, think they, they, they like to
1: torment yeah. him yeah or torment him uh yeah, yeah he's really enjoying that and brienne and jamie have like quickly become friends after that bathtub incident it seems like she's like i got you i'll put the fork in mm-hmm. even uh, though she called so, him king slayer she did he forgave it i guess or probably forgot because he seemed like he was in a, a little bit of a delirious state. Um, but there's a great, it's a good little back and forth. I think that the the Bruce and Jamie scenes so far have been uh, have been fun. Uh, they're both you know really quick witted and and great with their words. Uh, there's the whole part where Roos is basically talking about how yeah I'm gonna let you go. It's a better deal. It is the best option. I'm gonna let you go. I'm going to send you to King's Landing. It's restitution for the mistakes that my soldiers made by cutting off your hand. Tell your father the truth. I had nothing to do with your maiming. Um, but unfortunately, Brienne is not being allowed to join Jamie on this quest. And Jamie's really trying to push for Brienne to join him. And Ruth has uh, an all-timer, I think, what he says. I would have hoped that you had learned your lesson about overplaying your position. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, very cat and mouse between uh, Jamie and Roose Bolton. But I think that Roose Bolton never tells us why. Why does he not want to turn over Brienne of Tarth?
1: Um, I think that he probably just figures, you know, she, you know, she really did. She she was an agent in betraying the Stark cause. I mean, she was just acting on Catlin's orders, uh, but she was uh, what she did was illegal. Mm hmm. Yeah. She's gotta pay. She's gotta pay the pr- the price.
0: Yeah, I guess so. It seems like a odd line in the sand to draw of that we need uh, you know, to keep Brienne. We'll give Jamie
1: back to Tywin, but we're holding uh Brienne. Right. Uh well, you know, Bruce Bolton's kind of an odd guy, you know. Yeah. He doesn't uh, drink yeah, at least- yeah, Jamie's like, you know how suspicious that is to ordinary people that you don't drink? It's uh, like, you know, people don't drink. This isn't the, the like the biggest deal in the world, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Get off your high horse. Bruce is probably like, yeah, well, the one time I tried to drink, my men served me horse pee. So I've just been very <laughs> cautious. Yes, yes. Uh, that's the oldest trick in the book.
0: That's um, the backstory. All right. So... We see a great, great scene with Lady Elena and Tywin. And, uh, they are talking about this idea that Tywin floated at the end of the, he did more than float it, but, uh, basically announced it at the end of the last episode, uh, that we were going to see that Cersei was going to marry Loras Tyrell. And so, uh, Lady Elena doesn't like it
1: doesn't like it doesn't like the plan at all and it's a it's a fun scene because they're both pretty frank about their children or, or grandchildren in the case of lady elena mm-hmm. uh, of, tywin know, like, less not,
0: so tywin less, less so, so about uh, the uh, jamie and cersei uh, rumors
1: yeah he's trying to just like but you could tell he's like oh god i know i know i know that they're together and it's really weird mm-hmm. and it's all- uh, like Lady Elena has no problem like acknowledging that Loras is like secretly gay. And this has been like the huge rumor about she him calls him
0: throughout. a sword swallower through and through.
1: So, like, you know, they're <laughs> it's a very vulgar way of describing <laughs> him. Uh, but they you know, they're they're having this conversation that's fairly candid. Uh, and it's it's fun to see these two characters matching wits against each other, uh, especially because like even though Elena walks away from it, the the loser of this of this deal, uh, because Tywin plays his trump card where he says, you know, if you if you don't marry Loras to Cersei, I'm going to name him to the Guard, and he'll never marry or have children. That's basically the Jamie deal. Uh, and so she is finally like, okay, fine, that I, I get it, it makes sense, and she says, it's a. Rare enough thing to meet a man who lives up to his reputation. Uh, The Queen of Thorns so far seems like she's been unimpressed by the denizens of King's Landing, but not unimpressed by Tywin Lannister. I think that she walked away like, yeah, you're about exactly what I expected you to be. Yeah. No, it's just really great when you combine it with the scene she had
0: earlier this season with Varys, where she commented about how she had heard great things about the spider, and she came away unimpressed. And then she has that meeting with Tyrion, and she's, oh, she had heard so much about Tyrion, and she finds out that he's just like this uh, browbeaten bookkeeper. But now, here is Tywin who is just as horrible as she had always heard and she's like okay all right live. that lives up to the billing works for me match yeah. the hype yeah so yeah. uh that's a great scene uh between the two of them and so now we know this is all coming together we see sansa with lars sansa still under the impression that she is going to be marrying loris tyrell and uh this is a, I i think a, a uncharacteristically hilarious scene in Game of Thrones.
1: It's pretty funny. Uh, you know, we've got Loris being like, like Sansa's like, oh, this is like the greatest day of my life. I feel like I'm in a dream. And Loras is like, oh, yeah, me definitely too. Like I'm <laughs> definitely in the dream as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's just not in it at all. He really does not does not care. He's excited for, for the wedding. You know, he's been thinking about weddings since he yes, was a kid. That he has
0: thought a lot about the details of what the wedding would be like. Yeah, he's like,
1: guests, food, tournaments, it's going to be sweet.
0: Oh, yeah, you're there, too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And they bond over, you know, just how terrible uh, King's Landing is. Uh, Cersei and Tyrion also have a scene together, and I feel like that they're commiserating a bit about uh, the predicament that they're in.
1: Yeah, it, this feels like some progress in their relationship to a degree. Like this seems like one of the softer scenes between these two characters, where they both realize that they're being shipped off to hell together, uh, albeit on a boat that Cersei built, according to Tyrion. Um, but they make some progress in terms of like Tyrion, who is still very freaked out about the fact that he was almost assassinated during the Battle of the Blackwater, and he is only suspec- He only has two suspects in that he thinks that it's Cersei or it's Joffrey, and he basically deduces that it's Joffrey and Cersei all but you know outright says that um so you know it's it's good you know it feels like uh you know the the Lannister kids they're they're getting along who knew yeah
0: so they're sort of in the same situation I do really like when Cersei floats out there like you know we could have them both killed I mean that's that's one that's an
1: idea like, you could do that. Yeah. So I, like, eh, I don't know. That doesn't seem like my style. Says right.
0: And <laughs> the, I think that Cersei and Tyrion sort of uh, realized that, like, I guess there's an out for Cersei that when Jamie comes back, that uh, he could just kill Loras Tyrell. That could be the way out for Cersei.
1: Right. I love the way he describes that too. You know, when Jamie comes back, loris could come down with a terrible case of sword through the bowels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's such a rare condition in in King's Landing. Yes. Uh so the seven
0: kings united in fear of uh Tywin Lannister. I I just I really love the dynamics of everything going on because I feel like that season 3 of Game of Thrones really is like the arrested development season of that we have sort of like this very Dysfunctional family at the heart of all of this drama in King's Landing. That now that you have Tywin there, and you know his uh, petulant kids in Tyrion and Cersei that uh, sort of uh, want to have their way, and he does not want that to happen.
1: I think it casts out pretty well too. I think that you've got uh, Tywin is the George Senior Blues. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think that makes sense. Lady Elena is clearly Lucille. Um, I don't know that she really has a buster. Like, I don't know that maybe Loris is a little bit buster esque. I think uh, could could that could play. Um, I think Tyrion is probably like the Michael Bluth. I think that he's like the Jason Bateman of the crew. Yeah. I don't know if there's a George Michael. Uh, <laughs> podrick <laughs> yeah podrick i guess so
0: <laughs> yes, it really does work out uh, pretty well yeah Lindsay is clearly cersei obviously obviously, yeah. and, and i guess that jamie by proxy is uh job
1: yeah i think so yeah although isn't it uh th- there's like a, a secret like brief relationship between Lindsay and michael so is michael now jamie but he's not the one who's trying to keep everything straight so it's not perfect but it, it aligns <laughs> yeah all right, now this is the story. Yeah. <laughs> Ron Howard narrating the life of the Tyrells and the Lannisters is just something we need in our lives. Yeah, they could add Ron
0: Howard to the uh, narration for the final six episodes, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm looking forward to uh, to the to the I've made a terrible mistake montage. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that to be had. Okay, the chicken dancing. It's gonna be great. Yeah. All right. So there is then
0: another moment that could be like a high comedy of like this is if you were like going to like an improv show. I feel like that you could see this scene of Tyrion coming in and he needs to tell his uh, newly betrothed uh, bride to be that they are getting married while he is having a torrid
1: love affair with her handmaiden it's very funny and he's like hey uh, i kind of need to talk to you sansa alone and shay's like why are you telling me to get out of here it's like whoa you can't talk to Tyrion lannister that way but of course we know that there is more to the to the relationship there and i love Tyrion like trying to speak in code to shay about like sometimes you think you want to hear information right away but what you really want is to hear the information in the right way at a later time. Yeah. And she's like, like, yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely, uh, absolutely, if anything, I'm staying here now more than ever.
0: And they Uh, cut away. They cut away. I wish that they would have given us how he brings that up and what the reaction is in the room.
1: But that's because it's not going to be anywhere near as funny in practice Mm -hmm. as it is in the way that they hang the scene with Shay refusing to leave and Sansa ready to hear whatever information Tyrion has because she's like head in the clouds about the Loras thing. And we get this incredibly delivered Peter Dinklage line. How to begin. This is awkward. Yeah. And we cut away. Like, I think that that is the that is the last funny moment of that scene.
0: You know, (laughs) that the the
1: next time we see Sansa, she is bawling. I mean, you could let it go on.
0: I mean, it could be a Saturday Night Live skit. It is just like such a, uh, you know, a funny situation
1: uh, for us, for us. For not them, for anybody terrible. involved. For yeah. them terrible, but the way that you could play that out as a sketch in your mind, I think uh it's it's better to leave it that way. Okay. Uh then we see uh Littlefinger. He's just like staring at the Iron Throne like a crazy person. Yeah, this is like his favorite pastime. tormund likes to climb, Littlefinger just likes to stare at a chair.
0: Mm-hmm. And him and Varys Talk And uh, it's been a while since they've uh, had a real discussion. These two people that I feel like that the show has always uh, pitted against each other through uh, these first three seasons. And uh, that, you know, Varys is talking about how, you know, stopping you was never my ambition. And then uh, Littlefinger talks about how that he did get some enjoyment out of when he thwarted Varys's plan to send
1: Sansa to the Tyrells. Right. This is a, it's a great scene. Like you say, uh, anytime you see Littlefinger and Varys together, I think it's it's quite a quite an engagement. Um, we get some some big news here that kind of just gets, you know, sort of presented as casually as something like this can be presented. That Littlefinger has found out that Varys had his hooks into Roz, who is supposed to be Littlefinger's confidant. Uh, and so Littlefinger de- decided that she was a bad investment. So he has uh, offloaded this bad investment onto a friend who could find some use for her for something new, something daring. Uh, and as the, the monologue that ensues plays out, it plays out over uh, a very startling, shocking, jarring image that Roz has just been murdered outright. By King Joffrey who has like shot her up with crossbows we see nothing alluding to that whatsoever in terms of Joffrey killing Roz except for the aftermath and this is a character who has been on the show since the very first episode who's just killed in the most matter-of-fact casual way Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember being so surprised by this when it aired the first time Yeah, Um, I presume Marjorie doesn't know anything about
0: this either. That seems that maybe then Joffrey just has like his fixers that come in and then, uh, you know, uh, roll Roz up in a carpet and
1: get her out of the uh, Red Keep. Right. Yeah. Just like dissolve the body in a vat of wildfire. Yeah, just get her out of there. Um, Right. So,
0: you know, Varys tells Littlefinger that he is doing everything he's doing for the good of the realm. And that's sort of been like one of Varys's uh, catchphrases through three seasons of Game of Thrones. And Littlefinger tells us that, you know, that is a, a bunch of nonsense. That's a tall tale, the realm.
1: I think that you have to applaud Littlefinger uh, and maybe even Aiden Gillen, the actor, more so for not literally twirling his mustache during this mustache twirly scene mm-hmm. uh, where, where Vera says, everything I did was for the good of the realm and Littlefinger embarks on one of the great Littlefingerisms of all of Game of Thrones through this point in the series and frankly throughout the entire series. This is an all-timer for Littlefinger this scene where yeah. he says, the, the realm, do you know what the realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies, a story we agree to tell each other over and over until we forget that it's a lie. Uh, And that's when Varys counters by saying, what do we have once we abandon the lie? We have chaos, a gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Uh, And Littlefinger sees it differently. He says, chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Many who have tried to climb it fall, never get to try again. The fall breaks them. Some are given a chance to climb, but they refuse. They cling to the realm or the gods or love. Illusions. Illusions, Michael. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. The climb. The climb. The climb is all there is. Chaos is, uh, is a ladder. Yeah. Yeah. Illusions, Michael. The realm is something. <laughs> it's not a trick. Yeah, or candy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So that's the you know, it's a great line from Littlefinger. Uh, Chaos is a ladder. Is his signature that- line of the series. I think it's something, you know, that's a phrase that I feel like in the spoiler free sections, at the very least, you and I have probably had a couple of points of like bitten through our tongues to not say it is so iconically Littlefinger chaos is a ladder. This man uh, does not have house words. As far as I know, I don't think that the the Baelishes were big time enough for that. Uh, but if they did at this point, chaos is a ladder would be uh, sewn into the banner. Uh, it is definitely when you think of this character, I think it's the first thing that you think about. He loves chaos. Loves it. Big fan. Huge fan. Okay. All
0: right, Josh, uh, anything else from this episode before we get into talking about the spoiler ramifications of everything happening here in The Climb? The
1: Climb. Yeah, no, let's get into the spoiler section. Okay, here we go. Spoilers coming. Okay, here we go.
0: Spoilers are a ladder.
1: Yes, spoilers are a ladder. Uh, I feel like just to give people a little bit more of a buffer, we really didn't talk about this at all, uh, but Loras is talking to Sansa in the scene where they're talking about their wedding and talking about like the most beautiful bride in the world that he's imagined, and he mentions French sleeves? What? <laughs> what are French sleeves in Westeros? There's no such thing as French. France? No, In no, Joshua, you, you know
0: you're 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 wrong. So it's uh it's French spelled F R E N N C H uh that is from the area of Westeros known as uh <laughs> Friends, uh F-R-E-N-N-C-E. Get out of
1: here. I can't. <laughs> Get me out of here get me out of here makes no sense makes no sense continuity error or mega spoiler that game of thrones is in the future on our planet oh yeah well that's a theory i've watched a youtube video about that yeah yeah yeah. and like everybody knows that and we just haven't heard any details because everyone's casually omitting it from their narrative Mm okay okay all right, Josh, uh,
0: let's I guess let's keep going with Littlefinger and with Varys, because I do feel like that this is the scene to me, which sort of, you know, gets you the most hyped for Littlefinger and his rise to power of the entire series. And it just still does leave a sour taste in
1: my mouth in terms of how it ends up playing out for Littlefinger. Yeah, it turns out that he's wrong about chaos. It is a gaping pit waiting to swallow him at the very least. Uh, not for anything, too. I do believe that this is. Varys, the I've made Finger. a terrible
0: mistake.
1: Yeah, i <laughs> made a huge mistake. Uh, I think this is Littlefinger and Varys' final scene together, right? Yeah. And that also just feels like that. Uh, I
0: felt like through three series of the show that there is like a, uh, you know, uh, Charles Widmore, Ben Linus about the two of these uh, figures that they sort of were, while everything else is going on, that they are sort of, you know, uh, in this mono imano battle against each other.
1: And again, uh, th- that, that just does not come to fruition. Yeah, but that being said, in the context of knowing that this is their final scene together, you know, this is the first time I've watched this scene knowing that Um, unless there's like some quick little something later on in the series that I'm forgetting. But I don't think that there is. Uh, And there's there's this line from Varys, where he says, you know, defeating you has never been my primary ambition. Like, I feel like, in in a way, whether it was known at the time or not, and this is, you know, this episode is written by Benioff and Weiss, so I feel like they would probably know This does have a feeling of finality about this relationship to me, just in retrospect. Maybe not in the moment when you're watching it the first time and expecting more. But as a final scene for these two characters, I do think that there is a a sense of closure where they are both making it clear that they are not each other's final boss. Uh, They are both people who know that they are on very um, propulsive agendas that are separate but could come to a head against each other. And they both lay out exactly who they are and what they're about. Uh, You know, Varys is the guy who says, what I do is for the good of the realm. And I think through seven seasons of this show, we have come to truly believe that that is how Varys views his role in life. And Littlefinger says, what I do is about chaos. The ladder of chaos is the only thing that's real, and climbing it is the only thing that's real. There's nothing in here about how, like, and I'm gonna then, you know, knock you off the ladder, or anything like that. I think they are just laying out exactly where they want to be going, how they want to be doing it, what it is they stand for. And then goodbye. See you later. We're now on our separate paths. So I think actually for me in watching this now, I kind of feel more satisfied with the Littlefinger and Vera storyline, not having a big moment of closure later on than I expect it to be. Mm, Okay, yeah, it's still a sore spot for me. I'm sorry. It'd be great. It would, it would be great to get another scene with these actors, of course, because they're incredible together. But I think now knowing that it's their final scene together, I think that it, it has new meaning. It's still me. a great scene. It's, it's still a great a scene. It's a really good scene. Yeah, yeah, totally. OK. All right. Uh,
0: let's skip around to the woman who ultimately will shut Littlefinger's eyes forever. And that will be. Arya Stark as she will uh, stab a little finger in the season seven finale. She has this moment with Melisandra where there is a bit of prophecy as you set up about all of the eyes that she would go on to shut that Melisandra can see brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes. Eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again uh, to this date that they have not yet met again in the seven seasons of Game of Thrones, which does not mean that all of Melisandre's prophecies come true. But Josh, in terms of the eye color prophecy, does this refer to people that Aria will go on to kill or that Arya will have many different eye colors as she will wear many different faces? I would think the second thing,
1: right? Like I think it to me it feels like this is foreshadowing of Arya becoming one of the Faceless Men. Um, and with that said, if if she if Melisandre is talking about your eyes, uh, if like Arya's eyes specifically, and also saying eyes that you're going to shut forever. That's very ominous. That's very ominous as we're trying to figure out, you know, how is Game of Thrones going to resolve? How will things resolve for Arya Stark? Uh, And also thinking just sort of in the bigger picture of like which characters will survive this thing and which characters will ultimately die. Uh, With the exception of Littlefinger, season seven really doesn't have any like huge big shocking 11th hour twists with any of their main characters. Everybody is pretty much around to make it into the final season. Um, We've talked about it before on this podcast and others that Arya is somebody who I think that you could see potentially kicking the bucket at some point. And this makes me very nervous in that regard. I think the eyes you'll shut forever prophecy. I think Arya Stark dies by the end of Game of Thrones. Mm hmm. When we talk about the eye colors, I I do feel like that, uh, it
0: is, uh, is it canon? We said, does Cersei Lannister have green eyes? Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, Uh, I feel like that uh, this is something that I I, that I feel like that uh, probably is uh, mentioned uh, uh, that it's sticking out of my head for uh, I can hear Roy Detrice talking about uh, green eyes of uh, Cersei Lannister. But
1: Cersei's green eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right. So they will meet again. So uh, do you think we
1: get that in season seven? Melisandre and Arya. Yeah, there's a couple of Melisandre things that still have to pay off. I think that was one that maybe we expected would pay off in season seven, and it didn't. So you got to think that Melisandre here's the, the, the optimistic version of this. If you're, if you're like really buying that Melisandre is right, that we will meet again and you will shut your eyes forever is it's not out of the realm of possibility that humanity wins the war against the white walkers and whatever ending is involved in game of Thrones has like a, a Harry Potter epilogue quality to it, or a little bit of like the, the six feet under thing where we get to like kind of like trip down, uh, the line of where these people are going and what's going to happen to them. And could Melisandre who says like, I have to die in this strange country. That's what she says to Varys in season seven, which suggests that Melisandre has to come back to Westeros to die here. Could we just see some scene where a very old Melisandre is there while a very old Arya passes away. That's the really sunny, rosy version of this prophecy. But as somebody else says in this episode, if you think this thing has a happy ending, you're not paying attention. Right. Um, just to stay on Melisandre for a
0: second, have you done any speculation in terms of Endgame for Melisandra?
1: Hmm. In terms of Endgame for Melisandra, I could see her, um, you know, I could see her giving her her life to breathe uh, life back into somebody else. I could see her doing like the shadow baby thing one more time, maybe, but not really other than she's got to come back to Westeros and die. Like, that's really the only thing I Mm -hmm. think that that, you know, her saying that pretty much spells out to me that Melisandre comes back to Westeros and dies at some point. Could she give her special necklace to somebody? Oh man! And somebody just lives forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe you know that could. Who would you want her to give immunity? Somebody to? old, some an old person, and then, then they could like turn into like a young wow.
0: strapping yeah. person.
1: What a shame that uh, that Lady Elena is no longer with us. <laughs> right? That, <laughs> the, the, she, that would that would be great. Uh, know, like a CGI'd young Diana Rig. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so um, I don't know. She'd give it to Barrack Dondarrion? You know, maybe that'll clean them up a little bit. I don't mm-hmm. know how we look in the in the necklace. Yeah, um, there's. Uh, you mentioned before there's some archery in this Brotherhood without Banner scene. I gotta say, like you know, and and they're talking about how you never aim; your eye knows where the arrow wants to go. Trust your eye. We don't think that there's going to be any kind of like I don't know very important arrow moment at some point in the end of Game of Thrones. Haven't there been a few of these moments where it's like maybe they're setting something up?
0: Yeah, archery has been an important theme in terms of a lot of the Stark the nuance, stuff. Yeah. yeah, like we've been picking that up. Yes. Going back to, you know, that scene from the pilot episode of the series, do you think that there could be some sort of like dragon glass arrow that uh, is pointed at like the Night King or, uh, you know, one of the uh,
1: top lieutenants of the Night King army? It's like that, you know, it's the end of A New Hope, right? Like you got to, you know, you got to use the force to blow up the Death Star with the, the perfect one in a million shot. Uh, like the ice like dragon, you think, yeah, uh, ends up.
0: Right. So, yeah. I mean, that is how we saw Viserion go down the first time with a javelin. Right. Right. Is, which is really just like a very big arrow. Yeah. Just, you that, you know, that's what they both call both. it in the Olympics, I think.
1: <laughs> that's the big name arrow that that's what
0: javelin is is latin for big arrow is that right yeah anyway arrow. <laughs> josh uh we talked about uh theon and uh his torturer in this episode and it's such a mystery but boy uh theon is really dumb right theon's an idiot
1: i mean granted he's you know he's deprived of water he's in a lot of pain the whole situation is terrible but like if he knows enough about the Karstark details to put together that this guy could be uh Torin Karstark's brother you really haven't figured out yet that you're on like you're on the Bolton poster right now right <laughs> you're you're the flayed man. Yes, the literal
0: sigil for House Bolton is a man that is tied to an X in the exact way that Theon is. Now, maybe is this commonly done? Is every sort of uh you know torture chamber in every castle in the north, do they all have an X? And then it's just that the Boltons uh tend to much like mirror and Osha that pull the skin off people.
1: But it's not even a top three guess. Yeah. You going you're going Deepwood Mott and then last Hearth first? You're gonna think he's an umber mm-hmm. before you think he's a Bolton? Man. Theon really uh, more Greyjoy than Stark, I'm going to say, because the the northern information never really took hold. But also that
0: Theon left this castle like on his own free will one time and then also came snuck back into this castle. So did Ramsay like take down like all of the the flags and everything as he snuck people back into <laughs> uh, the, what is this? The, the Dreadfort?
1: May, yeah. Maybe he maybe he put uh Car Stark banners up all over the place. and so Very like, sneaky. Yeah, very very sneaky. Yeah, yeah. Very very tricky. Yeah, Ramsey Bolton is like the the Gene Parmesan of uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones. Master of Disguise. <laughs> Ramsey? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well it's off good, and it is Ramsey Bolton and uh uh, Lady Olen acts so surprised every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk
0: about John and Egret in this episode. And I talked about how I really love this idea that they are both just soldiers that are fighting in this battle and neither side really cares about them. But we know that that's ultimately not true. Uh, John is actually a very important figure ultimately in the story of everything that's going to uh, go on. Uh,
1: ultimately, Egret though is not. No, she's not. She's right, you know. And she was right. You know, Egret was definitely right. And Jon Snow only goes on to become such an important figure because he he lives long enough to become one, and then dies, and then lives some more. Uh, you know, I think in this current iteration, yes, he comes from very important lineage, but he has no idea about that. He still has no idea about that. Um, but you know, the Night's Watch—do they care about Jon Snow right now? No. Not especially. Not really. Uh, He really is just a soldier. So at least in this moment, Ygritte is correct.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I sort of feel uh, bad for her that she sort of like has sussed out that nobody actually cares about her. But uh, ultimately, Jon Snow uh, does have a very important destiny in this story.
1: How um, how much solace should we take in now being reminded that Tormund Giants Bane has climbed the wall half a hundred times. Uh, on his 51st ascent, the wall gets destroyed by an undead dragon, and we don't know what's going on with Tormund. Is like the first shot we're going to see of Tormund in Season 8. He's just, like, buried a thing into the wall, and he's got, like, Barrick by the arm. He's like, don't worry, dude, I've done this 51 times now. I'm going to be told the okay and so are you. Yeah. Well,
0: technically, this was
1: 51
0: in this episode. So, so 52. This is to- number 52. Yeah. Uh, 52 card pickup for Tormund yes. as uh, he tries to pick up the the pieces.
1: Yeah, it Feels like a lucky number, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's too bad the Night King uh, couldn't just fly uh, the dragon through the hole that was made in this episode when and egret uh, like, uh, like, puts a crack in the ice.
1: Right. That would have been cleaner. Yeah. Not, a, not as dramatic. Josh, what else from The Climb? The Climb. What else from The Climb? I feel like we've covered most of it. Uh, you know, we made fun of Theon for not figuring out that he's in the freaking dreadfort figure it out
0: yeah do we talk about if uh, a brooch is a pin or not
1: <laughs> i don't think that we really got into it uh i prefer a brooch uh, myself for mm-hmm. you i would say pin Fans out there uh yeah it seemed pinish mhm <laughs> pinny esque um yeah, we made fun of the fact that uh, Gendry is being, like, you know, touted a lot higher than Barak and Thoros. But is there anything else that we should pay attention to in this whole idea of Melisandre saying to Gendry, you're more than they could ever be, they're foot soldiers in a great war, you will make kings rise and fall. Obviously, we know the idea is to leech some blood out of him um, and, you know, do the whole thing where Joffrey and Rob and all those guys are going to get got. As a result of his king's blood. Right. But do you do you think that there's like more here as we're looking at, you know, Gendry about to leave the show for three seasons and then he comes back in season seven. Is he in any kind of position to be a more important person than we are, you know, that we have given credit for? I mean, I I do think that season seven did build Gendry back up from somebody who was
0: completely off our radar to somebody that you could potentially see being on the Iron Throne at the end of the show. I I think that there is uh, still that as a I, I think an outside chance. But I do think that that is a potential scenario that happens on the show.
1: Curious. Yeah, we'll see. We'll
0: see. Yeah, I do think Melisandre did uh, short sell uh, Thoros of Mir, considering that uh, he just got done telling her how he brought Beric Dondarrion back to life six times. She's like, you shouldn't be able to do this. And then she tells Gendry, like these these guys, uh, they're, they're they're worthless.
1: Yeah, they're these are pretty. M- impressive people yeah
0: not bad not bad okay josh here we are we're closing in towards the end game of season three that red wedding is looming
1: uh next Uh, week we're talking about
0: the bear and the maiden fair
1: oh yeah next week we're going into the bear pit
0: going into Uh, the bear
1: pit Yeah. yeah uh well we will not immediately regret that decision i'm sure we will have a great time on the podcast uh and yeah we've got A couple more episodes to go until we're firmly in Red Wedding territory. Uh, It's kind of hard to imagine that we're going to have two full episodes before the Red Wedding happens. Doesn't it feel like it's like it's like you're I'm antsy, like I'm very anxious for it. Yeah, it's all happening. OK. All right. So
0: make sure you're locked in. You can subscribe to our podcast feed. You go to com slash G.O.T. iTunes. And of course, follow Josh Wigler on Twitter for uh, Game of Thrones news as it breaks and much more at
1: Round Howard. That's me. Yeah, we got some other stuff happening. The Westworld podcast will be coming back soon with myself and Joe Garfine. That is going to be hitting shortly after the Westworld season premiere. You hyped up for the Westworld season premiere? I'm hyped up. Yes. No, I'm really
0: excited for it to come back and I want to uh, dive into the podcast so that you guys can hold my hand and help me understand what's going on on the show.
1: That is exactly what we will do. We have invented technology where we can reach out through your earbuds with like an artificial hand that can grab yours. Yes. Yes. That's really
0: what I would like. I'd like sort of like a sort of like when I used to have like on Nintendo, like the power
1: glove, but I want that to be like headphones. I've gotten really into the Nintendo Switch. I know you didn't ask, but you said Nintendo and I think I'm developing a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Just needed to tell that to somebody. There you go. That All right. Only one person is listening.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, great stuff. Thank you so much, Josh Wiggler. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. To talk about season three, episode seven here on Winter Was Here, a Game of Thrones rewatch. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Goodbye.